Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name is Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you're listening to this. Me? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Still adjusting to being not on vacation after taking my first vacation in like five years, which was nice. I think we talked about some of the highlights on a previous episode. If not, I had a nice time. National parks are great. You should go check them out. My favorite acquisition I made on the trip, however, has nothing to do with national parks. We went to a thrift store and I bought maybe my favorite shirt that I will probably never wear. It is a button-down Dragon Ball Z shirt, which I only know because I read the tag. I am almost entirely unfamiliar with the characters from Dragon Ball Z, but the fact that they were adorning this button-down shirt I thought was really, really funny. The only thing I know about the characters on the shirt is that I think one of them has a name that sounds like fajitas, and... I like fajitas, so that's nice. The downside of the shirt, the only thing I know about the characters is that one of their names sounds like fajitas. So if anyone were to try to strike up a conversation with me about the shirt, that's all I've got, and I think that's probably not enough for most people. So, in summation, fajitas are delicious. Oh, also had some pretty good fajitas on my trip. Well, enough of that malarkey. Let's get on to some entirely different malarkey. The malarkey of a Defenders comic book. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is brought to us by Bernie DeLeo, and it comes in the form of a limerick. After Hawkeye gave Val a wet slop kiss, Nighthawk said, hey, I can top this. But before these two boars assault Val anymore, let's hear Hub read this week's new synopsis. Thanks, Bernie. That was fun. I don't think we've had a limerick before. Defenders, number 26. August, 1975. Savage Time. Written by Steve Gerber. Drotted by Sal Buscema. Inkted by Vince Coletta. Lettered by Karen Mantlow. Colored by Irene Vartanoff. And edited by Len Wein. Defensive lineup. Doctor Strange, Valkyrie, Nighthawk, The Incredible Hulk, and The Guardians of the Galaxy, featuring Vance Astro, Martinex, Yondu, and Charlie 27. Previously in the Defenders. During a lengthy battle with a group of snake-themed racist assholes, the Defenders encountered one Jack Norris. To clarify, Jack was not snake-themed or particularly racist, but he still seemed like kind of an asshole. It turned out that Jack was the estranged husband of Barbara Norris, the mystically insane former cult member whose body the sorcerously created personality of Valkyrie had been jammed into. Valkyrie explained to the confused Mr. Norris that she shared none of Barbara's memories or emotions, but listening to women and believing them did not appear to be part of Jack's skill set, and he continued to call Val Barbara and insist that they were still married and in love. Jack's willful ignorance did little to endear the matrimonial-minded meathead to his sorcerously Scandinavian supposed spouse. Val told Jack to fuck off and leave her alone. Hooray! Unsurprisingly, Jack didn't listen. 
Meanwhile, Doctor Strange had concerns of his own. The Sorcerer Supreme's Stevie sense started tingling, indicating that someone was splashing around in the time stream. Oh no! And just who had temporally transgressed the time travel taboo? Why, a group of freedom fighters from the far-flung future named the Guardians of the Galaxy. It seems that in the year 3007, a group of interstellar colonialist assholes named the Badoon had decided to manifest their space destiny all over our solar system, and had murdered or enslaved the vast majority of the human race. The Guardians weren't exactly crazy about being murdered and enslaved, so they decided to ride their spaceship to the 20th century to see if they could find some clues as to how to thwart the Badoonian baddies who had apparently attempted an unsuccessful invasion of Earth during the mid-70s. The self-styled Galactic Guardian's roster consisted of Yondu, a blue-skinned red mohawked warrior from Centauri IV. Martinex, a scientist who grew up on Pluto and is made out of crystals. Charlie 27, an enormous muscly dude who grew up on Jupiter. And Major Vance Astro, an Earth guy who is from the 20th century but was cryogenically frozen for a special space mission for over a thousand years. It was a bit of a bumpy ride on the journey from a thousand years in the future, and the Guardians experienced some turbulence. Before crashing their spaceship, the Captain America, named after Vance's boyhood hero, in upstate New York, the time-hopping heroes decided to send ahead one member of their party as an advance scout. Who did they choose? Why, the Guardian who was best equipped to blend in with and adapt to life in 20th century New York City. Charlie 27, the Jupiter-born, 8-foot-tall, 8-foot-wide warrior who dressed in red and yellow bondage gear like a McDonald's-branded dominatrix. Nighthawk was flying around upstate New York trying to clear his head. He witnessed the spaceship crash and decided to investigate. A small boy from an abusive home also witnessed the spaceship crash and decided to investigate as well. More on him later. Surprisingly, Chuck 27 didn't blend in seamlessly to life in the Big Apple, partly due to his appearance and partly due to his naivete about Earth customs. It almost seems as though they should have sent the team member who was human and grew up on 20th century Earth. Compounding Chuck's difficulty was the fact that revealing any information about his mission could muck up the time stream and have dire consequences. Back at the crash site, Nighthawk, aka billionaire do well Kyle Richmond, showed up and started poking around. Vance Martinex and Yondu explained their situation to the inquisitive avian aficionado. So much for those dire consequences. Kyle offered to show Vance and Yondu around the big city and help them look for their enormous, totally inconspicuous chum, while Martinex worked on repairing the spaceship. After the trio of temporally mismatched do-gooders took off, the small boy I mentioned earlier showed up and started asking Martinex a bunch of questions. Marty declined to answer on account of those apparently selective, dire consequences. Back in the city, Kyle, Vance, and Yondu managed to find not only Charlie 27, but also bump into Steve Strange, the Hulk, and Valkyrie. What are the odds? The surprising septet of superheroes teamed up to battle and defeat the monstrous Elar. Hooray! Who's Elar, you ask? Why? Elar was a normal electric eel who crawled into an abandoned Badoonian space helmet that had been pre-programmed with Badoon propaganda. When the Guardians of the Galaxy traveled through time, the ambient temporal radiation, which is totally a thing, super-evolved Elar into a ten-foot-tall anthropomorphic telepathic eel monster who flung dead fish at people and attacked trees while spouting evil space propaganda about subjugating stupid Earthlings. Hooray!
The Defenders and the Guardians beat up Elar, and Steve turned him back into a regular old electric eel and flung him back into the Hudson Bay. Hooray! Back at Steve's Sanctum Sanctimonious, the Guardians explained their whole deal to the Defenders because I guess those potentially dire consequences of revealing future information don't apply to people who wear capes. Or are green. Everything was wrapped up nicely. Oh, except for the part where the Guardians of the Galaxy were stuck on 1970s Earth. Oh, and about that inquisitive child from an abusive home who is hanging out with Martinex on the crashed spaceship? Turns out his name is Vance Astrovic, but he plans on shortening it to Astro when he grows up. Hey, isn't that the name of one of the Guardians of the Galaxy? What a crazy coincidence. Unless... God, Zooks! Will traveling back in time and meeting your own younger self be a situation in which those dire consequences will apply? What was the 20th century secret to defeating that attempted Badunian invasion? And what advanced tools will our heroes use to fix the Guardian spaceship, the Captain America? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, gosh, you'd really think so, wouldn't you? But, aside from some slight tectonic plate anomalies, not really. It doesn't really come up, but apparently the Silver Surfer beat up all the Badunians with his nonsense space powers, and the same tools you'd use to fix the other Captain America. Punches and magic. Jack Norris and Valkyrie ride Val's flying horse Aragorn to the cliffs of New Jersey so that they can have a talk, which goes about as well as you would expect. Jack insists once again that Val is really still Barbara and that they are in love and married. And Val tells Jack once again to fuck off. She is Valkyrie and he is a stranger. Jack refuses to listen and tells Valkyrie that thinking she is a superhero who rides a flying horse is crazy. This argument might hold a little bit more sway if they hadn't just ridden the flying horse to New Jersey. Never one to allow basic observational skills to interfere with his worldview, Jack decides that not only is Barbara delusional in her claims to possess super strength in a flying horse, but that he has the cure to her malady. Non-consensual smooches. Damn it, Jack. Although to be fair, damn it 1970s pop culture in general. Astoundingly, being grabbed and kissed against her will does not magically cure Valkyrie of having her own thoughts and feelings. Hooray! This may be a first in comic book history. Val tells Jack that if he ever tries that shit again, she will fucking kill him. Hooray! Then there's an earthquake and Jack falls off the cliff. Hooray! Valkyrie uses the super strength that Jack refuses to acknowledge she possesses to pull Jack up onto the back of a flying horse that Jack refuses to acknowledge she possesses. After being rescued, rather than thanking Val and apologizing, Jack goes on to express further skepticism at things that have objectively just happened, insisting that there are no fault lines in New Jersey and that an earthquake is crazy. Gee, Jack, maybe you should go non-consensually kiss those tectonic plates and see if you can smooch some sanity into them. Asshole. Meanwhile, Steve, Kyle, Yondu, Charlie 27, the Hulk, and Major Vance Astro are sitting around a conference table. Apparently, New Jersey earthquakes are not the only unusual natural disasters to start cropping up lately. There have been screwy weather events happening all over the globe, and Stephen Strange thinks he knows the reason why. Someone, and I'm not saying who, but someone, 
has been traveling through time, and the consequences of that are most dire. Sometimes. The Guardians insist that they did a whole buttload of future math, and there is no way that this is their fault. Steve's like, did you remember to carry the seven? And the Guardians are like, of course we remember to carry the seven. And Steve's like, did you remember that Vance Astro already existed at this point in history and now there are two of him? And the Guardians are like, um, well, we definitely remembered to carry the seven. Damn it, Guardians. Kyle turns on the TV and the gang sees that the press has gathered around the crashed spaceship, the Captain America. Suddenly, Martinex and the younger version of Vance pop out to say hello. Future Vance seems appropriately embarrassed, and the assembled Guardians and Defenders skedaddle upstate to try to mitigate the temporal kerfuffle. When they arrive, Doc Strange does some David Copperfield shit. He regales them with a Buildings Roman tale of a young urchin coming of age in Victorian England? No, not that kind of David Copperfield shit. The kind where he makes the spaceship and its inhabitants seem to disappear into thin air. The little dickens. Sorry. Once the gang is safely hidden from view, Martinex gets to work repairing the ship, which mostly seems to consist of telling the Hulk and Charlie 27 to punch the spaceship until it looks like a spaceship again, while Steve does some nebulously defined magic stuff to plausibly nonsense away the damage. Ah, super punches and nebulously defined magic stuff nonsensing away the damage. The Defender's story. Well, these repairs are taking place, thousand-year-old Vance decides to take his younger self aside and detail the last thousand years of future Earth history, using the onion-skin thinly-veiled conceit that it happened to a planet not too different from your Earth. Seriously, I'm surprised he doesn't just call the planet Zerth. Vance begins his tale in the far-flung future of the early 1980s. By 1982, we had used enough aerosol to totally deplete the ozone layer, and there started being huge epidemics of a new kind of skin cancer that ate people's limbs. So, we made totally rad bionic limbs. Then, in 1988, in the final act of our space program, we sent a dude on a thousand-year-old journey to the stars. More on him later. Then it was the 90s. You remember the 90s, right? You know, grunge music, friends, the ubiquity of sun-dried tomatoes, Steve Urkel, the bionic wars where armies of cyborgs fought viciously over Earth's dwindling food supplies, the swing dance revival. Man, the 90s were crazy. Then a nuclear bomb blew up half of Canada and everybody calmed down for a minute. Then in 2000, evil Martians invaded and enslaved humanity in the dystopian future outlined in the Totally Rad Killraven comics, which you should totally read. Then in 2075, the Techno-Barons fought each other over who owns the moon. Then after 500 years of that, humans killed all the Techno-Barons. Then we colonized the rest of our solar system and genetically engineered some fire-headed dudes to live on Mercury, and some crystalled-up people, like Martinex, to live on Pluto, and some giant super-strong dudes, like Charlie 27, who dress like McDonald's-branded dominatrixes, to live on Jupiter. Then in 2960, we established friendly contact with a group of blue-skinned aliens with big red mohawks, like Yondu, who lived on Centauri 4, 
then in 3006, that chump who got launched on the thousand-year space mission finally landed on Centauri 4, only to find that Earth people had already built a colony there and had been living there for like 50 years. What a chump! Then, a year later, in 3007, the Badun Empire showed up and enslaved and murdered most of humanity, and Centauri 4 idi. Bummer. With the Earth and its various colonies' population reduced to less than 50 million, Vance, who I think might be the thousand-year-old chump he was describing, Charlie, Marty, and Yondu, teamed up, formed the Guardians of the Galaxy, and stole their spaceship, the Captain America, which is totally coincidentally named after young Vance Astrovic's hero. Hmm. Also totally coincidentally, that spaceship looks suspiciously like the Enterprise from Star Trek. At some point, Captain America and the Thing did some of that good-good non-dire consequences time travel and helped the Guardians liberate future New York. Hooray! Which brings us up to the present. Or the future. Or the past. Or whenever it is. When old Vance finishes his story, young Vance starts crying. Vance asks Vance what the problem is. I guess Vance knows that Vance lacks empathy and wasn't just crying because he heard a super sad story about a different planet. Young Vance explains that he's sad because he's worried that the events he just told himself could happen on Earth. Oh no! Did Vance see through Vance's clever allegory? Will there be dire consequences? No and no. Hooray! Old Vance explains that... Even if I had been describing the future of Earth, which of course I totally wasn't, don't be ridiculous, past me, I, I mean stranger, much like the ghost of Christmas future, I would only have been showing what might happen, and you can still do things to change your future, which I totally wasn't describing, and there won't be any dire consequences whatsoever. Wait, th there won't? Then what's up with the fucking earthquakes, dipshit? Kyle's been eavesdropping like some kind of teen titan and is like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. For once, I'm on Team Kyle here. Steve interrupts and is like, yes, it's totally true, young fans. The future is malleable and there are no dire consequences for time meddling. Now, let me teleport you back to your abusive home where you'll be safe. After teleporting young Vance home, Steve turns to thousand-year-old Vance and says, I just wiped out his memory, so he won't remember what you just told him. You're welcome, dipshit. Now let's get you back to your timeline, or the consequences could be most dire. Val and Jack show up at the spaceship, which I guess is only selectively invisible, and the Defenders and Guardians all pile in. Jack tries to stop Val from leaving, and she's all like, Don't you fucking touch me. Now, once again, fuck off. Fuck off forever. Hooray! Once aboard the spaceship, Steve informs the Guardians that the Defenders will be joining them on their quest to liberate future Earth. The Captain America launches into space, and Steve meddles with the time stream to send the Octet of Heroes back to the future, where if they don't succeed, the consequences will be most dire. Or non-existent. I forget which. To be continued. Hey, wait. Does dire mean non-existent? That would actually make a lot of sense, seeing as how dire wolves and dire wraiths are non-existent. Or are...
are they? And joining us once again from his tropical paradise is my good-for-many-things, including globetrotting brother Corey. Corey, how's it going? Hey, it's going pretty great. How are you? I'm going okay. Let's hope this call doesn't get dropped this time. Yes, let's. This is our second try at recording this, and hopefully second time is the best time for everybody. (laughs) I think that's a popular expression, isn't it? That's probably how it goes. Yeah, I don't know if that I don't know if that expression has reached as far as Thailand, but uh, back here in the states, I don't know if you'll recall your former life back here, but uh, it was quite popular. People said it all the time. Yeah, I've been gone for almost a month, so it's all a little hazy. So, I mean, I'm really excited to talk to you about this comic book, but I'm also a little bit nervous because right now it's tomorrow there, right? Oh, I see where you're going. Uh Uh-huh. I'm worried that we could create a time paradox if you reveal any information of the future to me, and then we could have a whole goddamn time quake. We could have earthquakes in the New Jersey Palisades. I'm specifically upset about the prospect of a time quake, because that was the first really disappointing Kurt Vonnegut novel I ever read, and I just don't want to repeat that experience. Oh, man, I never read that one, and I have yet to be disappointed by his writing. So thank you for that cautionary uh, tale. Yeah, it's really the only one that did for me. In retrospect, some of it hasn't held up as well as others. I'm looking your way. Happy birthday, Wanda June. But in, in general, like at least first blush, I loved everything that I read by him, with the one exception of the book Time Quake. So... Just be careful. Don't reveal any information to me about my own future or else I'll have to get mind wiped and that could be a whole thing. And we don't have any uh, any Steve Strange around to help out with that as far as I know. Don't we? <laughs> so for me, it is the 26th and it's, a, it's about 20 after 2 in the afternoon. And so you are, what, the 25th and it's around 11? Something like that. So, uh, okay, I I can't help it. Uh, How are the bionic wars going? (laughs) What is this, the 90s? Uh, (laughs) There's no no bionic wars here. Oh, okay. Good to know. Good to know. I have a a, a clear conscience, and soon we'll have a clear mind. As I'll, I'll just wipe it myself with the normal methods, too much alcohol. Okay. What do you What do you got there? Uh, I'm, I'm drinking a, a hot toddy. Got some, uh, some Jack Daniels. It was, uh, gifted by some house guests recently. And so, um, not my whiskey of choice, but in the context of a hot toddy, doing a fine job. Sounds good. You got anything going down there yourself or too early in the afternoon for you? Oh, no, no. It's after, it's, it's literally afternoon. So, uh, I found my way into a little scotch on the rocks. Excellent. Well, properly armed with libations, uh, shall we delve into this uh, mindfuck of an issue? <laughs> I think we have to. The only, way, <laughs> the only way out is through. So, what'd you think? I quite appreciated Hulk's take on the whole time kerfuffle of, or, you know, how you explain whatever problems you have when future self meets past self and all of these things. I agree. Uh, would you care to elucidate? On page seven, um, Hulk says, how can man be from tomorrow when it's still tonight? And that just 
sums it up, I think. It tickled me, and I believe also that is the Hulk's only dialogue in this issue. He really hit the nail on the head, too, because Stephen was like, yes, exactly, Hulk. <laughs> yeah, which good for him, man. This issue was so much fun for me. We get a cameo from one of my favorite characters of this era. It's just a one-panel cameo of Killraven, which is a great series that is incredibly loosely based on the premise of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds and is about like future space barbarians fighting for freedom against Martian invaders, and it's wonderful. And my favorite like subgenre the far-flung future of the 1980s and 90s, and this really gives you this future history lesson, and it's uh, it's pretty fun. It, it was fun. It, it reminded me of a, a trip down memory lane, like browsing the, the shelves of the straight-to-video, like uh, 80s disaster action movies at first Barrington video. <laughs> like Oh, uh, totally. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, your hell comes to Frogtown? Yeah, Warlords of the 21st Century um oh things like that there was a topical bit in there too so like pretty much the whole issue is via uh vance astro's exposition of all this crazy shit that went down in the 80s and 90s yeah and the whole thing that i thought was funny that i actually remember kind of from my childhood that kicked it off was humans um destroyed the planet by using too much underarm <laughs> deodorant aerosol yep so yeah those those chloro fluorocarbons i think they were called really did a number on things yeah, and then we had to get rid of all non-essential plant life so that we could put it all in crops. It's a fun dystopian timeline that he sets up for us all, and I, I really enjoyed reading about it. But before we get to that, we do have one of my favorite recurring things that happens in this comic book. Mm. And I use the word favorite loosely. So turns out Jack Norris is still a piece of shit. Oh, what a... Ugh. Jerk. Yeah. He's just a jerk. Yeah. Man, just fuck that guy. I liked it when he hit a Nazi before. I liked it when he when he like helped rescue Val. That was like, okay, step in the right direction. But god damn it, that dude doesn't fucking listen. He's doing the same shit he's always been doing in terms of not listening to the fact that Valkyrie is not Barbara despite the fact that she inhabits her body. And I understand it's a confusing idea, and he used to be married to Barbara Norris, and seeing her there physically and having her not be the same person mentally, sure, there's a disconnect. It takes a while. Within the comic books, it's been a bit of time now, and he's just refusing to get it at all. So that sucks. Also, like, his logic is, you know, because he can't take at face value what she's saying is that she's crazy, which... First of all, that's that's not a great approach to right. dealing with when people tell you things about feelings. He's like, no, you're crazy. But then he right. doubles down on that by saying, and the way to uncrazy you is with this uh, non-consensual, super creepy kiss. Yeah. It's uh, like, which... How does that uncrazy it, the situation? It just is going to make things worse. Yeah. And you know what? Good for Val. She, she reacts to it properly, which is, what the fuck are you doing? No. Which she she reacts forcefully with a bit of self-restraint in that she doesn't kill him, but also is just like, that is not okay. You don't do that again, or I will kill you. Which, good for you, Valkyrie. Especially because that's not the first time that we've seen that happen, because 
Hawkeye did that to her and Kyle did that to her. And both times she was just like, oh, that was fun. And so I like this direction and I think it's more true to her character. And I mean, obviously she just doesn't like Jack Norris, which good call. But also one of the things that he says too is, except that my wife has gone crazy, that she believes she's a female Eric the Red on a flying horse. That's berserk. Dude, you rode the flying horse there. <laughs> I know. What a... Uh, like, like, like not and, only is he a jerk, but he's a stupid jerk. Yeah. Ugh. And he's a stupid jerk who believes in, like, destination relationship talks. Which... <laughs> we, we have to break up. Let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let's wake up at 4 a.m. and go to the, the cliffs over the ocean in New Jersey, because that's where everybody should go to have a serious <laughs> talk about your relationship. Well, oh okay. A, a couple of things about that. First of all, <laughs> I do know somebody who did something very similar to that uh, in, in terms of they had to have a serious talk about their relationship. Oh, that's true. That's he true. decided that <laughs> Not the best way to go about that was to drive to, I believe, a, like drive and then hike to a mountaintop and then talk about things. And then they ended up breaking up and then they just had to have a very long, awkward hike and ride back home. Bad idea. But also, there does exist the possibility that Valkyrie was like, well, if we're going to have have to have a, quote, talk, unquote, I want it to be someplace where I can dump the body. Yeah, you know, if it goes <laughs> south, just might as well make it easy. And it almost does, because then there's the time quake and Jack falls off the cliff and she has to end up rescuing him. And it throws in the part which was like, whether it's harder for him to believe that there's an earthquake or how strong the woman he believes his wife is, but his mind just shuts that information out. I like that characterization of Jack because it seems on point because fuck that guy. Yep. I think I have some notes on that part there. I was like, afraid of how strong Val is, Pigo. <laughs> yep, pretty much. I wrote definitely fuck that guy a couple of times <laughs> in my notes. And then in case I thought I was kidding, I wrote, no, for real. <laughs> yeah, I wrote, stupid kiss, creeper. Yeah. Speaking of creepers, there's the extended period where Vance Astro is relating a thinly veiled version, very thinly, not really veiled, like makes the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe Christian stuff seem downright cryptic. <laughs> version of his history to his younger self, which we'll get back to that. But when Kyle sees him doing that, Kyle gets this rakish look on his face. And when somebody asks him about it, he says, I'm just thinking about all the good advice I could give myself when I was younger. Yeah. What advice do you think he was thinking about giving himself? Because from the look on his face... It makes it look like he was saying, I'm going to tell myself to be the best at doing it. I know. I had a note to myself that, yeah, basically said, what the fuck kind of advice would, would he give to a young Kyle? Like, just like how to be an asshole, how to be a dick. I can understand thinking about like, oh, what advice would I give myself when I was younger? Uh, and, and, hey, maybe he just wants to tell him not to be an evil burglar. But there's something about like, he really does have this like, wistful and mischievous look on his face so the two options that i i was thinking were like wait he's not gonna give himself sex advice 
He's like totally he's totally gonna give his. Self. Yep, that's totally what he's doing. Or the other option that I thought of, which I actually found kind of charming, is is he just thinking about pranking himself? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm gonna show that little asshole. <laughs> I'm gonna burn him good. And I think, I, uh, I kind of like that idea too. That's charitable, I think, of you. But uh, you know, it's possible. Now, let's get back to the whole Vance Astro telling himself exactly what his future is going to be, but like veiling it super thinly. But as soon as the first of those things happened, then he would definitely know all of it, right? So, okay, is the time stream fragile or is the time stream not fragile? Because we're getting it both ways on this shit. My whole thought, like, Doctor Strange was standing there listening to Astro talk to young Astro, and I was like, do something strange. Like, he's he's going to destroy everything. Well, he does. And I actually loved what Doctor Strange did. Because, yeah, he gives him the whole speech. And it is like, he's like, destroying can't, I mean, destroying a region that's like your Earth Canada uh, with a nuclear bomb. Here, Here's the timeline that he lays out, first of all. We get your uh, aerosol cans cause the 1982 skin cancer epidemic, which leads to robo arms for everybody, which leads to in 1988, they launch a thousand year rocket ship voyage, which Vance gets on. Then we get the bionic wars of the 90s, which are over food supplies and are fought by bionic soldiers who have bionic limbs that they developed for the skin cancer thing. In, in um, part. In part because the government spent all their money on the rocket ship. So there was no more right. money left that led to the wars. Oh, no. I thought most of the money was going to the wars and they spent the last of their space budget on the rocket ship. Uh, maybe I read it wrong. I thought it was like, then eh, the government spent all the money on this rocket ship and things descended to chaos. No, I think the rocket ship thing was like, that was the, the one good thing that they had left to do. And then they decided to do only bad stuff after that. Ah, then okay. they blow up Canada with a nuclear weapon. And then in 95, they form the Confederation of Nations, which I like because it rhymes. It's like, I think really the problem with the League of Nations was a lack of an internal rhyme scheme. So good call. Then everything's great for a while. Then Martians invade and start raising us for food and slaves. And then Kill Raven rebels. And then there's 500 years of Techno Barons. And then there's a uh, rebellion of 2525. Following that, everything's great for a while. They start the World Federation again. And you get your, you know, Charlie 27s and your Yondus and your Martinexes and a bunch of fire headed people. And then uh, poor dumb Van shows back up and is like oh shit party. you guys didn't need to launch this rocket to the future at all which I, I liked that touch and then the Badoons invade and everything sucks again so Vance does such a bad job concealing the fact that he's talking about the future that I was just like what the fuck but then I realized the only person that he's trying to fool with this is him so like I guess maybe he just knows how dumb he is <laughs> <laughs> that and is, he's like i'll um, never see through this and you know he's kind of right i mean the kid starts freaking out because he's like that seems like that could happen here too yeah it does yeah you um, think but i love the way that steve handles that because young vance is like 
that seems like that could happen here too. And then old Vance, and I do mean old because he's like a thousand, is like, but it doesn't have to. This is just one possible future. You can change things. You can make things better with the decisions that you make. And Vance is like, Dr. Strange, is this true? And Dr. Strange is like, yes, it's totally true. I know it seems weird, but yeah, that's a good point. Now, I'll send you home to your family. And he sends him home and he's like, yeah, so Vance, I wiped that kid's mind. He's not going to remember any of that. Yep. I loved that touch. And I loved Steve just being like, oh, yes, totally. You can change the future. Yoink. No, you can't. Vance, what the fuck were you doing? Mm-hmm. I know, but, but then after after that, Vance is like, oh, yeah, good call, I guess. That's the thing, though. Like, anytime you get a time travel story, there's not going to be consistent handling of the time travel paradox. Possible exceptions include Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Primer, maybe. Although there's still some stuff in Primer I couldn't figure out. But... Why did they send Charlie 27 undercover in the last issue and tell him he couldn't reveal to anybody that he was from the future or it could have a bad effect on things? I mean, granted, they did a really bad job. Like, you know, they sent their seven foot tall by seven foot wide muscle man from Jupiter as their undercover agent cosplaying as fucking Zardoz, uh, wearing just a Speedo and red suspenders. But they did tell him he couldn't tell anybody. And then it turned out, yeah, you can't tell anybody except for yourself from the past. And then the whole thing about like, but don't worry about that because you can create a different future and the future isn't malleable. Really weird and inconsistent handling of that idea of paradox. Yeah, so it was the part where old Vance says to young Vance, you know, you can change. The only thing you can't change is your past. Yeah, which is and exactly what he's doing. You're in the process, literally, of doing that, you big dummy. Jeez, what could Vance, go wrong? Vance is such a dummy. Like, just <laughs> across the board, he's just such a dummy. And also such a sad sack. When they throw his welcome to Centauri 4, you've completely wasted the last thousand years of your life. Do you think they made him the leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy out of pity? Oh, probably. That really seems to be the case. I, I can't think why else they would and what else he would really have to offer as a leader other than just like, oh, he's just so bummed out. We just we just want to have him feel like he has something to do, you know? Yeah, yeah, his leadership skills are, are a little bit lacking. Another fun thing that happens is Chuck 27 and the Hulk decide to punch a spaceship back into being a spaceship. Well, it's not going to fly right with all those dents. You gotta <laughs> no, pound, so they have to punch the dents out yep. and then put Bondo over it. Like, he's like, yeah, well, so we punched all the dents and then we've got the sealant. It, it reminds me of the way you would, like, fix a car to pass inspection in New Hampshire. I was just thinking just like, that, yeah. yeah. Bondo, Bondo and duck, coat hanger. <laughs> duct tape, coat hanger, and then leave a bottle of whiskey on the front seat. Yeah. I wonder if they did that in the spaceship, too. Wild turkey. <laughs> Just, yeah, I don't know if this uh, car is going to pass the uh, time-space continuum. Oh, it will. Just the time-space continuum guy, he loves black velvet. I don't know why. Just leave a bottle in the dash. Mm -hmm. Any vehicle will make it through the time-space continuum. Yeah, that was pretty damn silly. But a good time. What part of the timeline thing do you wish they'd spent maybe a little more time on? Is there 
one aspect of our future or past as future that they describe? Yeah, I guess the aspect of the story that, that they just sort of glossed over that I thought was, was kind of an interesting topic is this idea of genetic engineering among humans. And how in order to, you know, basically terraform the stars, we've got to make crystal guys for Pluto. We've got to make juggernaut right. guys for gas giants. you got to make firehead guys for Mercury. Right. Or Venus. I'm not sure which place those guys were living on. Yeah, it could but have been they, they seem pretty cool. Yep. Little fire, fire hair guys. But yeah, they just sort of glanced over that. Yeah. But, they showed a montage. I, I mean, he did cover like 1,500 years of stuff. <laughs> You're going to expect a little bit of gloss over in a 1,500-year overview of future history. But uh, I would like to spend a little more time on that as well. And, and you know, hey, what's going on on Neptune? What do people who live on Uranus look like? Yeah, yeah they, they didn't mention that at all. Corey. Yeah. Uranus. Was there anything else in the issue you wanted to touch on before we get into the minutiae for a bit? I guess just the the one last point about about strange mind wiping the kid like I I guess I understand why it had to happen but it still falls into this category of like man you should probably stop doing that. I agree in general. I just love the way he did it in this one. Uh, honestly, there was something about the way Strange did a lot of shit in this issue where generally he comes across as thinking he's omniscient but being kind of a dumbass. In this issue, he actually seems to be pretty omniscient. Martinex is like, we won't be able to cross into the time stream with our ship in this condition. And Doctor Strange is just like, yes, you will. I'm going to do it. Done. And he does that with a few different things and mm -hmm. just seems very much more competent in this issue than we've maybe seen him in the past. Yeah, I, it's true. He, he did well. And like I said, I loved that. Vance was being such a dumbass about the way he was dealing with his past self and Steve absolutely played along with him and and you know agreed with him and then is just like oh yes by the way I just undid all the stupid dumb shit you did you're welcome bye yeah yeah mic drop there was one other thing I wanted to bring up which is from the letter column did you read any of the letter column oh I did not read the letters there is a letter from Joe Duffy, who went on to become a pretty influential writer uh, for Marvel Comics. But she has a fan letter where she talks about how much she likes the new direction of the Defenders. She says some very nice things about it, but then goes on to say basically that she doesn't like Jack Norris either. Although she thinks that Val and Kyle should get together, which strong disagree but she's right about jack being an asshole and so i i enjoyed that but she also complained about valkyrie's costume uh, specifically her weird cone-shaped metal boob plates and she called them cosmic egg cups <laughs> and i thought that was pretty funny those cosmic um, egg cups have got to go <laughs> as a yeah. woman i find them ugly and offensive Wow. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I enjoyed that. And it's just, it's one of those, I always look for familiar names in the letter columns. Uh, and it's one of the things I like about having the actual issues. And she is a writer who I went on. I, I certainly enjoyed her run on Power Man and Iron Fist and uh, a couple of other titles. And I was like, yeah, good for her. Good for Joe Duffy. The only other thing, and I, I apologize because 
Well, you'll see why. But in the response, the response talks about also Val's costume, but it uses the phrase leotard cum shell casings, which is kind of an interesting turn of phrase, but it also is very easy to read as leotard cum shell casings and uh, gross. <laughs> yep. Yes, oh. I agree. That's gross. <laughs> um, Good call. <laughs> So, uh, you ready to move on to the minutia? I believe, yes. Let's move on to the minutia. All right, Rick, you want to sing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Corey, what do you want to start with? Let's start with the the one that I I had a little bit of trouble with. Who's who's got to be a sucker? I had a couple of options for this. I decided to go with the Hulk because it is very really? unlike the Hulk to when faced with a confusing and frustrating situation like time travel to just kind of quietly fade into the background and not really ask any questions. That's mm. just not the Hulk to me. It, it's kind of a cop out because it's a sucker by omission almost. And my backup was actually Kyle for for pranking his past self, which I decided he did. Oh, that's that again is charitable of you. Yeah, and also to, to your to your Hulk idea, like making a, a trenchant comment and then fading away into the distance is even right. less Hulk like. Yeah. So, uh, who, what did you come up with? So I came up with, with Steve Strange for a few reasons. One of them, as you mentioned before, where he actually kind of walks the talk in terms of his omniscience in, in this issue more so than he normally does, which in some ways is out of character. But in particular, whenever he does something that's a little bit like emotionally insightful, I'm always like, that's not Steve Strange. And there's a, a part where Kyle, being his usual you know dickish self, when um, Norris and, and Valkyrie come back from their break up on the cliffs thing he uh refers to mr norris as is her hubby oh and talks about them being honeymooners yeah yeah and dr strange is just like dude don't say that (laughs) like especially (laughs) not around them and yeah i just had a little note to myself like oh insightful that's out of character for him i think that's absolutely fair i think that is a valid choice thank you thank you What did you have for your favorite sound effect? Boy, was this tough. Was there only one and that it wasn't really actually a sound effect in here? Or did yeah, I Yeah, that was it? the one that I had too. I, I'm assuming we're talking about the same one, uh, horse noise. Oh, nope. I Mine is from page three. Oh, yeah. Mine is too. I th- wait, is the, the horse the one who's saying earthquake? Oh, wait, no, you have hurry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, Corey, horses make the noise earthquake. Everybody knows that. I did not think so. Earthquake. <laughs> yeah, no, good call. Hurry. That's, yep, that's yeah. like a, a horse whinnying because he doesn't like the earthquake feelings. Or he'd like the, everybody to hurry up and break <laughs> up with that asshole, Val. <laughs> good advice, Mr. Horse. Pegasus. Yeah, Aragorn knows what's up, man. Yep. Yeah, but... Where much of 
the story takes place in exposition generally when you have flashbacks or largely expositional pages you don't get sound effects and there really weren't any sound effects in this issue other than the horse telling Fal to hurry up and get rid of Jack Norris okay well since saying earthquake really loud isn't a sound effect exactly i'm gonna have to switch mine to go with the with the uh, the horse yeah Take it's not even noise. a sound effect kind of well I, I maybe earthquake is an onomatopoeia i would love it if it is that's actually something that's really fun that you get in a lot of golden age comics is they kind of hadn't figured out what sound effects were or what their relationship was so you would get a lot of these like like a sound effects noise type thing saying idea or something like that and i love shit like that yeah i like like those two like when you kick somebody and it makes a noise like i don't know punt <laughs> right yeah right but yeah like i'm saying in the in the really old ones it, it wouldn't even be that it, it would just be like you would like turn on a tv and it would make the noise turn on oh wow um yeah, yeah it's it's really fun. Okay. Well, um, then my uh, earthquake sound effect is a, a callback to the golden age of comics. Indeed it was. A, a simpler right. time when yeah. everyone was terrible. Sartorially speaking, what fashion instances in this issue would you like to discuss? Oh, man, we're going straight to the 90s with this okay. one. Okay. And it's on uh, page 18, and there's a, a dude that's hanging out with Killraven who's got, like, a muscle shirt with giant fringe about the shoulders. Oh, yeah, no, that that guy's rad. I can't remember <laughs> his name. It's shit. It, it's got an M and then an apostrophe, but he's, he's like, the second lead in the, in the comic, and he's great. Yeah, no, he's got a good look. Really, Killraven's whole crew, always dressed to the nines. The guy in the background, there's a bald guy. Uh, his name is Old Skull, <laughs> and he always talks about himself in the third person. He's great. Oh, man, I um, wonder if that's what that, that kid band named themselves after. Probably what not. What kid band is this? There was this band called uh, Old Skull that was like, uh, if I remember correctly, it was like kids that uh, played, you know, like kind of, gosh, I can't really remember, like skate rock or some kind of hardcore music, but they were like young. When were they playing this music 1980s shit they might have been named after the part of the kill raven crew I, i'm retconning them to have been <laughs> named after after old skull from the uh don mcgregor kill raven books mm, okay well we'll have to look this up ah gosh it's driving me nuts that i can't remember that dude's name that but you're right i like his macho man randy savage uh bicep fringe it's fucking rad. On that same page, I wanted to discuss the fashion choices made by the techno baron tyrant Qual, who we it's... see being executed. Oh, yeah. He's, he's got uh, the Oregon he's Ducks wearing, colors. Yeah, yeah. Bright yellow and green. It, he's got a kind of a crested Dracula collar with what appears to be like a mini skirt version of an evening gown uh, with a yellow cape. <laughs> And some nice boots that appear to be melting. It's a stunning look. You know, 
clothes to die for and to die in as he is being executed by the serfs who have just rebelled and good for them. Yeah, and the, the dude who's brandishing a, a weapon at him has a pretty cool color scheme too. Actually, kind of looks like something out of a modern day like West Elm catalog. It's like a, a, a brown, light brown and like a powder blue ensemble. Yep. It's uh, the year 2525. Will you still be alive to be dressed fabulously? Do you know that song in the year 2525? Uh, Deltron 3030? No, or no, no. That's, uh, that's, that's 2030. Oh, that was, I was off by five. Or the year 3030. 3030. <laughs> that's the one. That's, geez. Numbers are uh, hard. No, it was like a 60s like garage folk band in the year 2525 now it the, now that you sing it, it 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 rings a bit of a bell it asks the musical question will you still be alive the answer of course is no no you will not unless they were singing the song specifically to dracula they may have been i don't know them or remember the name of the band. I'm sure some kind soul on the internet will remember and will likely tell me. Or I can look it up later. The other fashion choices, the sun protection gear that we have from the early 80s. Mm. The far-flung future of the early 80s. Everybody's wearing weird gas mask type things. And the, the cop wearing a onesie for some reason really stood out at me. Yeah, it's a weird look. It's weird because it's like this hyper futuristic look but he's carrying a wooden billy club which i don't think cops have carried for a while any other fashion choices you wanted to talk about the president of the united states has a pretty dope pinstripe suit oh yeah when he's sitting down and signing the accords mm-hmm. yep yeah it, pretty good pretty i don't know if it's the, good. Co- the colorizing in the issue but it looks like it's like uh black pinstripes on top of like that um spring green like, crayon color like what's oh almost- totally totally pretty loud yeah pretty loud it's a bold look mm-hmm. bold look i can see i can see why they elected that guy that's during <laughs> the uh like six year period where we got our shit together apparently before martians started eating us mm-hmm. gosh you'd think i'd remember that shit better i know 1995 man not that long ago yeah well this is pretty long ago i guess so Corey, in this issue what were your favorite words my favorite words were on page 30, and it's when Val tells Jack Norris to kindly remove yourself from my life. I loved that, too. <laughs> Jack goes, look at them, all these people. Are you all insane? You can't. And Val goes, I can and shall if I so choose. And then she goes, and I shan't ask you nicely again to keep your hands off me. Now you will kindly remove yourself from my life. So good. So good. If he doesn't get the message from that, and he probably won't. What no. A, what a doofus. No, he, he almost certainly won't, but man. Well said. Good for her, yes. I loved those words. I also, there were some really, some of my favorite words we've come across yet were in this. The beginning of Vance's tale, which you touched on briefly already. We decided we valued dry armpits in the $3 billion aerosol industry over our flowers, our food, and ultimately, our health. Oh, the scientists warned us. The the tone of it, too, is not 
unlike a lot of the tone for the current talks around around climate change. Yeah. Too, you know, it's kind of oddly prescient. Yeah. Yeah, I loved that. We talked about the Hulk's speech earlier from page seven. The Hulk doesn't get it. How can men be from tomorrow when it's still tonight? That's terrific. And yeah, and Doctor Strange's have no fear, Major. The boy will remember nothing of what you told him. My spell saw to that. And yeah, you see Vance ruefully say, I should have known. Thanks, Strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that bit as well. So, uh, yeah, some uh, some good stuff in there. Favorite panel? I got a couple. Um, I think my backup favorite panel is, is the one that we were just talking about, where it, it's showing the underarm deodorant and the hand holding a flower, and that's yeah. superimposed over this crazy... Uh, I don't know what you call it in graphic design, where there's that that sun that's got all the rays coming out of it of different colors. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. But yeah. that with the cop and the onesie and everybody wearing their speedo suits. To yeah, it's just it's all you know dystopian and creepy. It's good. Yeah, it's it's a really cool looking panel. I I liked that one a lot too. I really enjoyed when Vance's thousand year trip arrives uh, to colonize Alpha Century 4. He arrives on it and finds that people have been there for, like, years. And it's just a Centauri guy and an Earth person, each kind of clasping him on the on the shoulder and basically going, uh, hey, no, that's great. That's It's great that you, you came here. Mm-hmm. In like this super condescending way, and he's thinking, "Poor slob, he was given a hero's welcome, but somehow he just couldn't make himself care." Indeed. And you uh, see some people in the background carrying picket signs. That is true. I don't know if you can hear that. I can. I I didn't have mine out in time. There we go. There we go. <laughs> okay. Well done, Corey. Thank you. But yeah, uh, that that's definitely one of my favorite panels. And I think probably my favorite is on page seven. And it's the one where Hulk does make his, his one line in the thing. But it's just kind of a conference table. Chuck 27 slamming his hands down and saying, Martinex couldn't have made a mistake. Mostly it's just them standing or sitting around having like a McLaughlin group type thing. But you see Yondu is there and it looks like he's maybe thinking about shooting the Hulk with a bow and arrow because <laughs> they're just sitting around a conference table, but he's got his bow out and he's looking very thoughtfully and he looks like he's stalking someone in the room. I didn't, uh, I didn't read it that way, but on, on second glance, it, I don't know, it looks like he's actually looking off to who's ever, like, where almost where the reader is. But yeah, you're <laughs> he's, right. He he's totally stalking like, us. He looks like he's, he's ready he's to shoot his... somebody. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a cool-looking page, mostly, but I thought that was a weird little touch. And I also just really like the... You can tell how confused the Hulk is just by the way he's grabbing his head and, like, scratching it. And It's a, it's a nice page. There's a lot going on in it. 
Yeah, I think my, my favorite is on page 27, and it's actually the one where Strange has both teleported the kid back home and mind wiped him at the same time and it's all it's just like this blue or per, rather like purple and kind of mauve and yellow explosion where you can just yeah sort of, it just looks like the he's vaporized to this this kid and it's <laughs> it's got some good graphical elements yeah. to it. it looks pretty cool i like it so who was the worst offender Corey? we I suspect may have some what of an accord here. And uh, my choice for this was Astro, because not only yeah. did he just fuck everything up, but like he totally shouldn't have come back to Earth to try and do no. whatever he was trying to do. And then he made his own kid self cry. Yeah. What a dick. Yeah, really, all around. The thinly veiled story that he's telling the kid, and really so thinly, he's, he uses the word human all the time. And I think he just forgot like halfway through that he wasn't supposed to be doing that. Even if as a kid he was dumb enough that he couldn't pierce that analogy, as soon as the first of those things happen, he's going to be like, oh shit, that's what he was talking about. Like, it's not sustainable, that his ruse. And yeah, he he just did a terrible job. I had for my backup uh, Martinex, who made all the calculations and forgot that Vance was a thousand years old and was still a kid then. But yeah, really, man, bad job, Vance. And his whole, whole story of just being like a sad sack, like, yeah, I got sent a thousand years into the future for no apparent goddamn reason. They didn't need a past person there when he got there. They were figuring things out just fine. They had, yeah, they found sev- apparently a hell of a shortcut to Alpha Centauri for, yeah, just overall he did a terrible job. And you know, like, in his in his defense though, like if you if something's gonna make me a sad sack, it's realizing I've essentially wasted a thousand years. Sure, sure. No, I I get that. But what a chump. What what a chump who does a very bad job in this issue. That uh, said, I guess yeah. we we needed him for those thousand years worth of exposition. Wouldn't uh, wouldn't have been much of a story without him, but but he still garners my vote for the worst. I think Chuck 27 could have done a jo- fine job filling us in. He wasn't there for most of that shit anyway. Yeah, true. Conversely, best defender yeah, so I don't get to say this often, but I'm going to vote for uh, Steve Strange. I think he, he generally did a great job. He got that spaceship repaired, followed through on what he said he was going to do, sorted out the space-time conundrum paradox thing for the most part, yep. or at least was able to explain it and realize he needed to mind-wipe that kid to not fuck things up worse. And then, uh, you know, basically goes off to fight the bad guys at the end. So all in all, a remarkably good showing from uh, Steve yeah. Strange. Great job. Full agreement. I had him as my choice, too. Uh, my backup was Val for showing a lot of restraint uh, in not killing Jack Norris. Although if she had not shown that restraint, paradoxically, she would have definitely gotten the top spot if she had killed Jack Norris. But uh, really a- asserting herself and s- sticking up for herself and telling Jack to fuck off more than once. Doing it politely, but telling him that was the last of it, last of her politeness. Well done. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I agree with that too. Which I believe brings us to uh, in the long run. <laughs> huh. Okay. Corey, 
what yeah. was happening in the Wong run. In the year of our Lord, 1975, and the month of our Lord, August. Man, August of, of 1975 was, was a pretty rough time, pretty rough month for Wong. We've, we've discussed before, you know, he's, he's the man of a great many interests and intellectual pursuits, but, but one, of the, one of the big things he's interested in is music. You know, all kinds of music, really. He's, he's gotten a lot out of it in his life. That's just sort of one of the things that helps keep him sane when Steve's being a pain in the ass. I'll just go to his room, you know, put on his headphones, turn up the hi-fi, and kind of help take some away. But uh, Hey, do you think he has one of those, like, egg stereo chairs that they had in the 70s? Oh, I bet man, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, let's I, I just decided he does. Yeah. Yeah, let's say he totally does. Okay, so yeah, that's what he does. He needs to get away. And so he'll go in there and, you know, man of many tastes, like he, he might like just someday need to like blast some Led Zeppelin or, you know, maybe feeling feeling a little sad, listen to some Hank Williams Jr. Who the <laughs> two of them both happen to be some of his favorite recording artists. Um and in August of 75, it was bad luck for both those guys. Poor, you know, Robert Robert Plant, singer of Led Zeppelin, got in a terrible car crash when he was in Greece. And uh, Hank Williams Jr. fell off the side of a mountain in Montana. And so, you know, Wong's reading about that, and he's all bummed out, these guys he really liked. Then, to top it off, he picks up Rolling Stone, opens it up, and realizes that Peter Gabriel has quit Genesis. And he oh, just no. lost his... Yeah, lost his shit. Goes to the store, buys a big bottle of liquor... <laughs> drinks it and uh it turns out that that he actually knew peter gabriel from a few years back he was he was consulting on some stuff and had his phone number and so after about a uh, three quarters of a bottle of jameson he gets on strange's phone and and leaves this slurred message for for peter gabriel saying how genesis breaking up is like getting hit with a sledgehammer and blah 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 oh. and so <laughs> at the very least many I guess years we... later that kind of sunk in for for peter gabriel <laughs> yeah so i mean if nothing else we at least have wong to thank for the title of uh, of that <laughs> 1987 gem from peter gabriel but maybe not i don't know that's uh, that's what uh, i think wong was up to in august of 75 it's funny, Corey, because we covered similar events, but we have vastly different takes on them. Okay. Um, so after Steve and the Guardians decided to uh, bump off into space, Wong was like, he had caught pieces of what had been happening in the current Defenders adventure and had been like, oh, shit, they're fucking with the time stream again. But where some would see that as a crisis, Wong's been around this road a few times, and so he knows an opportunity when he sees one. He's like, fuck, they're going to burn this time stream. I get a fucking hall pass. <laughs> see, this time stream is going to be erased and replaced with a different one where they're going to fix whatever's going wrong. Because he saw the time quake. He knew what was going on. He's uh... like, this is the result of people meddling in time travel again. It's like a Groundhog's Day situation when that happens. Like, everything gets erased and you get to just kind of just fuck around and do whatever you want because your actions don't have any real-time consequences. Unfortunately, Wong misread the situation pretty badly. And that wasn't <laughs> what was happening. Oh, no. But he decided to have some fun. So, first, he went to a Phillies-Cubs game and he used his... He used his magic to misdirect things so that 
He was just fucking around. He was pissed at the Phillies. I don't remember why. I think he has some kind of a longstanding beef with the Philly fanatic, their mascot, because of his pal, the uh, San Diego chicken. It's a long-running feud. But uh, he decided to make the uh, pitcher being the first eight batters who came up to bat. Oh, geez. Just used his magic to misdirect the pitch slightly. It was just like, eh, no harm done. This isn't going to have happened later anyway, so whatever I feel like. Then, he may enjoy some of old Bo Cephas's music, perhaps, but he is not a fan of the man Hank Williams Jr., for who could be. <laughs> so he decided to head up onto that mountaintop. He sees the giant, like, Charlie Daniel-sized, like, belt buckle that uh, Hank Williams is wearing, and he's like, Ah, I'm going to take your title, chump. uh, Hank Williams is like, what are you talking about? And uh, he's like, living on a mountaintop is a family tradition, Hank. And then he pushes him off and is like, he'll be fine later once this time stream gets sorted out. Oh, man. And then he was like, you know, I do love Led Zeppelin. But I think it might be interesting to find out what it would sound like if they had a singer who didn't sound like a cat being tortured. So <laughs> I'm going to maybe make Robert Plant veer off that road for a second. Maybe before the time stream gets figured out, you know, I'll get to see what Led Zeppelin would sound like if they had a more traditional vocalist. Uh, that didn't end up happening. And after a couple of days, Wong was like, wait a minute. Um, everything should have been erased by now. Oh, no. Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So he, uh, he used his powers and made sure everybody came out of the whole situation okay, more or less. And, And you know what? Things did turn out okay. Sure. In the long run. Mm hmm. Wah, wah. Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I hope we have one of those time quakes uh type things soon cuz I I could use a couple of couple of mulligans on some things. Sure. Sure. Just don't 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 pull a wong. Yeah, I can't promise that I won't push Hank Williams Jr. off a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty but funny. Who among us can? Well, this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed covering this. Thank you for joining us, Corey, from uh, the land of Thai. Hey, uh, over there, do the Thai restaurants have uh, ridiculous pun names? No. I, well, not in English, anyway. Oh. I, I don't know. I can't really... That makes sense. Parse the, the Thai, but... Uh, do the uh, ska bands over there still have ridiculous pun names? I think they got rid of them. Oh. The ska bands. Fair enough. <laughs> the music, man, people love smooth music here. Like, oh, really? I, yeah, I don't mean like Yacht Rock. I mean like... Like, you like know they those... just love the song Smooth by uh, Santana nope, nope, and nope. Rob Thomas? Nope, nope, nope. Not that either. Like um, those those uh, compilations that are like where somebody takes a bunch of pop songs and then just sets it to like um, like saxophone music instead. Oh, yeah. Like it's huh. not it's not good, but that shit is like, playing everywhere. Like Muzak, kinda, yeah, but like more like Kenny Gified. Ooh, wow. Yeah, it's huh. pretty rough. That's my musical there. report from here. No, no ska, <laughs> lots of smooth. <laughs>
Well, I hope you continue to enjoy your adventures. You know, it feels good to shake the ring rust off and uh, get back in the podcast game. Corey. Yes. I was wondering, Hub doesn't get it. How could Corey be from tomorrow when here it's still tonight? Oh, that's very astute. Nobody knows. <laughs> Man, I forgot to say all the things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland.gmail.com. If you would like to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever you use to listen to podcasts or just the internet in general, just leave a generalized review. I think you could probably do that. Leave us a Yelp review. I don't know if you can do that, but <laughs> give it a try. Sure. Uh, do, do those things. I, I think that'd be nice. If you'd like to support us monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. I had it pointed out to me recently. I've been saying backslash, and it's not a backslash. It's a regular slash. Sorry about that. Maybe that's why we haven't been getting more donations. Mm. <laughs> um, but yes, if you would like to do that, it's patreon.com slash ttwasteland for all your giving us money needs. And... Uh, yeah, find us on Facebook and, uh, you know, look inside your heart. We'll be there. Waving at you and giving a big thumbs up. Hey, I'm in your heart. <laughs> it's nice here. Oh, geez. Send in some Cheetos. Oh. Wait, no, don't send Cheetos into your heart. Don't do that. No. That's, You'll get orange uh, dust all over it. You, you'd probably die. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. <laughs> and they knew it. Yeah, Rick, you want to sing us in intercontinental style? Hey, because we're on different continents. Oh, I see. I don't know. It's not like some extra fancy breakfast. Oh, man. I want an intercontinental breakfast. I assume it's still just an assortment of muffins and shit, but they serve it on like Tito Santana's old title belt. Because he was the intercontinental champion. Because he was the intercontinental champion. Okay, okay. That's fair, I guess. (laughs) Oh, boy. I bet that's a hell of a spread. Yeah, stay at a super fancy hotel. Yeah, Uh, the fanciest.